Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. I'd like to welcome as my guest today, Elliot Sisman. Elliot's CEO of Phase Two, a business that helps tech companies accelerate their growth globally. Prior to this, he worked as an equity analyst for HSBC in London, as well as growing and exiting a successful sports equipment business. He also spent five years at a Canadian-based specialist in data and cloud services, where he set up the European arm of various overseas tech companies delivering millions of dollars in revenue for their owners. So welcome, Elliot. You said you called your business phase two because your services kick in after the startup phase, when businesses have already established themselves and they want to grow internationally. Yeah, that's right. We're there to really help them de-risk the journey to become an international company. So our clients have established themselves in their home markets whether that be in America, Australia, or the Middle East. And now they're ready to test out new overseas international markets. And that's where we help them by providing them with the resources they need and taking them through a proven model that over a six-month period will help them establish whether investing further overseas is right for them. Okay, that sounds great. So which clients have you worked with recently? And can you give our listeners a case study? Sure. We work with technology companies from all over the world and have done from the start outside of the company. So some from the west coast of America, all the way across through to the Middle East, Asia and Australia as well. I, I suppose whilst I wouldn't want to pick favourites, one of the ones we're helping at the moment is a software company that works with smaller retailers to integrate the different channels they're selling through, be it the ch- their shops, their websites, or things like Amazon, to really give them a single view of all their stock and their order management system. So that's an example of a company we're working with, where we're helping them launch to the UK market. The kind of work we're, being, we're doing for them is, is helping them build their pipeline of opportunities directly by building a, a partner network for them and running the demos. So that actually what they're seeing is this constant ongoing revenue stream. Right. That's amazing, Elliot. How do they expect this to impact their profits and financial performance? I would say that the investment they're making would have a payback over the, over the first year, which compared to an alternative option like hiring your own sales team locally, opening an office and things like that, it's certainly a lower cost way of entering. So for us, it's all about de-risking those initial steps. And in my view, if you're selling from business to business, it really does help to be local. A local voice, a local presence really establishes trust in your brand. And that's the thing that we help with. Great. So Elliot, your clients invest with you because they want to grow their profits and customer base internationally. So what do you do to help them achieve connection and influence in these markets? And how does this affect sales and profitability? The way we do things is really by taking them through a very clear three-step process. So the first thing we will do is produce a go-to-market strategy. We'll help them understand who the ideal customers might be in the UK. We'll help them draw up the right messages to 
help them differentiate from their competitors over here. And then we'll start to test those messages out with the selected customers or ideal customers. The next thing after the strategy is really getting those messages out. It's about using email, about social media, LinkedIn, things like that. And of course, at times, picking up the phone and seeing what's resonate. As we're building up these pipeline of opportunities, we're, we're looking to book the next step in the process. That might be a, a demo of their product, it might be a trial, or it might just be an introductory call that enables us to, to set them up directly with the client to explain further about what they do. The aim of all of this, of course, is to not just test out what's working and what doesn't work, but also help them build this pipeline, build a pipeline of qualified leads that moves into a pipeline of opportunities. And of course, ultimately, they're getting some revenue from their first initial customers. And that means they can then choose to invest after this initial six months with a lot more confidence into the UK, hiring people if they want to, and really growing their business internationally. So that over a three-year period, they've got a really fantastic base of some sustainable ongoing revenue streams. So that's the kind of thing we, we help customers with. Sounds fantastic, Elliot. Is your offer specifically for technology companies or do you work across other sectors or would you have the capacity to work across other sectors too? We focus on technology companies, although the sales process would apply to anyone doing a business-to-business -business transaction. Yeah. But the reason we focus on technology companies, I think, is because whilst a lot of the times their product is very easy to deliver across the world, over the internet, in the cloud, in that kind of model, but they recognize that to, to, to really sell effectively, you need to have a local sales team. So we try and avoid those companies where they actually shift boxes overseas or have a whole load of people that are here to deliver the service. Uh, so we tend to focus more on the software as a service model. But that said, the sales process we follow is applicable to many different types of companies anyway. Okay. So how important is personal engagement in, in what you do, Elliot? And, and how do you achieve that for your clients? Well, I think that personal engagement is critical to the success of every business. You know, the, old, the old phrase of people buy from people still holds true, despite the internet. Um, and I think that it's about building trust in your product. And that trust starts with the initial human engagement. If that goes well, then you really feel comfortable handing over money. If you are trying to get hold of someone that is over, say, in the West Coast of America, they may be excellent people, but there's a time zone challenge. And I think also for many people, many customers over here, they want to know that the company they're spending money with has invested locally and is going to be here for the long term. And that, of course, again, builds trust. So there's many ways that our people are critical to that even if it's just an English accent. So what's your best advice for technology businesses that want to take their product or service off a global, Elliot? So I suppose there's three pieces of advice I would give companies that are looking to internationalize their business. The first is to really make sure that you have your home market nailed. You don't want to overreach. So you want to make sure that you have the ability to deliver your solution in a really good place and that you have the processes you need to deliver very, very well defined. I think the second thing is about making sure that you have 
some stories to tell, some marketing collateral. People really want to know that what you claim to be able to achieve, you can show people what you've achieved in the past for other clients. And of course, that can be from overseas clients. That's absolutely fine. But they must be ones that resonate in some way the UK market, maybe by a brand that they're familiar with in their sector, that kind of thing. And I think the third piece of advice I would give is don't assume that the UK has the same business culture as the US, even though we have the same language. There are subtle differences in how we sell versus how Americans or Australians or other people sell. It's, it's not to say one is better than the other. It's just a different approach that's taken. So the more you can have a local presence, the better you will be when the time is right for that growth. Okay, lovely. Thanks, Elliot. So you've been in sales all of your career. And of course, now you're establishing sales operations for other companies. So what I'd like to know is what's the best way in your opinion to generate customer loyalty? Yeah, I have been in sales for a long time. Um, and, and I think customer loyalty really does start with the sales process and the salesperson. There's been a lot of research done about what drives customer loyalty. And of course, you must have a product that is correct and delivers what it says on the tin and, and you must be delivering value. But actually, what people have found is that more than half of the customer loyalty is driven by the engagement with the, the representative of that company. To do that effectively, you should really be looking whether you are in a new business sales role or an account management role, to how you can add value to your clients. So it's not really about just saying yes, listening to their needs, explaining your features and benefits. It's really about challenging your customer or prospective customer by asking them if the way they want to do things is really the best way and making sure that you can bring in the experiences you have from other companies that have been involved with similar situations. Because, of course, your customer has faced this challenge once. You have been in front of many people that have faced a similar challenge, and hopefully your company has helped them solve that challenge over the years. As a salesperson, you should never really be afraid to challenge, afraid to, to advise and to teach your clients, because you really can have a lot of value. And when you do that, that is what will drive loyalty from that client throughout the whole life cycle of them doing business with you. It really, really is a critical part. People buy from people, as I said, and they want to know, of course, the product must deliver what you say it does, and it must be good value. But as a salesperson, you can be really, really driving that whole customer-vendor-supplier partnership. Right. So it's, it's almost like you're not just selling to them. You're also educating them about possibilities, right? That's right. Yeah. To be able to teach them what's happening in the marketplace. It may be if you're talking to a head of marketing at a, at a retailer, they're there focused on, on how to get their brand out into the market. But if you've been, in, been to conferences, you've sat in front of other people with similar roles, you can really bring some interesting insights. And as long as you tailor those insights to the person you're talking, they can really start to learn from you. And I think that's what people want when they engage a supplier. 
They can do the research online about your product. They can understand the features and benefits. They're not stupid. What they really want to know is say, look, I've got this particular pain, this particular challenge. Can you help me fix it? Yes. And what's the right way of doing it? Well, the way we would do it is this, this and this. Yes, that sounds great, Elliot. Can I ask you, if you're dealing with starting up businesses for companies in in different markets, how do you maintain control of that process? How do you find the best possible people to deliver value in each of those markets? Finding good people is always a challenge. So the way we try and, and do this is, first of all, by using technology and automation wherever possible, we are taking away all of the boring bits. Right? So in every sales process, there's a whole load of admin, right? whether it be sending out an email, connecting on LinkedIn, putting things into the CRM system, doing some follow-up, setting up a meeting, that kind of thing. There's all this admin. The more you can automate that, the better. What that then leaves you are very, very efficient and uh, salespeople so that you can then hire real market experts for each sector you want to go after, whether that be in in retail or or marketing or financial services, whatever it may be. So the job of our company is to give our people the necessary data, technology, processes, so that that moment that counts, that hour, that half an hour on that initial customer call or customer meeting is as efficient as it can be. So the way we do it is by hiring really good people, A, and B, making sure that we value their time by taking away all the boring bits and means that we don't have to have an army of average people. We can afford to have a few real rock stars. That sounds really, really great. So how do you do the technology and admin support, Elliot? Do you outsource? Do you have people in-house that, that deal with it? How, how does it work? We do have VAs overseas in, in, in the Philippines, but generally we're, we invest in market-leading technologies that do each individual step very, very well. And then what we add is the integration of those. Yes. If that integration isn't already there. So, for example, we're talking over a Zoom conference call. No, no, we're yeah. not trying to reset Zoom. But the step before that is having a calendar, right? So we use something Calendly whereby we can sync Calendly with Zoom. So when you have those, just as a very, very small example, someone says, oh, sure, let's have a, let's have a call to discuss your product. Great. Rather than that backwards and forwards of, oh, can you do Tuesday next week? Or I can do Wednesday between three and four. And then two days later, they come back and say, sure, Wednesday at three is five, by which stage someone else has taken Wednesday through. We just send them the link to the calendar, book the time. It goes to their diary, to our diary, and sets up the meeting. Invite. It's all done. So that's just one small thing. Likewise, steps before that, there's we're drawing down data on the potential people that we want to target. And we're able to send them a series of, not a lot, but a few emails just to introduce ourselves. At the same time, we might send them a LinkedIn request and maybe a follow-up message. We're looking and analyzing the data and saying, who is engaging with this messages? Who are the right people to call first? And those are the ones that the callers will target. So rather than 
picking up the phone to a thousand people and trying to get through. We're looking at data to try and prioritize that step of the process. So the all the way through, the more senior people will just have a meeting drop into their calendar. That's what they want. They can run that meeting and then there'll be follow-up processes after that as necessary determined by each customer. I mean, that, that sounds great, Elliot. So basically what you're saying is that, is that you've set up systems and processes in order to facilitate connection and in order to get people to be able to focus on and do what they do best to get the results that your clients need. Absolutely. And it's about making sure people do what they do best. I, I've gone into sales organizations before where they have one person because that's the size of the company and that's yes. what they can afford. And that's fine. But that one person is expected to research into the right targets to try and find their email addresses and phone numbers and maybe connect them on LinkedIn to, to call them a certain number of times to, to uh, try and set up a meeting, et cetera, et cetera, and then go all the way through the pipeline and sign the contracts and do this. It was actually to make sure people do what they do best. You need a certain bit of certain people and a certain bit of other people and technology to fill in the gaps in between. Fantastic. That, that's really, really interesting. Is there anything that, that you, you're particularly excited by or you feel works particularly well for you in this respect? Do I have a favourite technology? <laughs> you know, the answer I will give is one that lots of people use and it's LinkedIn. If you'd have asked me 10 years ago or maybe longer, is there going to be a website which is free to access? Of course, you can pay to have certain features. Free to access where all the people you would like to speak to are constantly updating their roles and responsibilities. And there's a way of connecting to them. You can see who you know that knows them. And it's all available in, in the public domain. That is incredibly valuable information for anyone in sales or in marketing or, or, or that kind of customer-facing role. You can see who's arriving, who's, who's, who's leaving, all of this kind of information. Data is so critical, and LinkedIn has got to be, I think, the, the one real game changer when it comes to the, the, the sales landscape. Fantastic. I hear that LinkedIn are, are now introducing live video. I just wondered whether you've been playing with any of these new features or whether any of them have changed your approach or your strategies. I think the fundamentals of LinkedIn are still remain the same. And there's three ways that we use that platform. The first is about putting on content into our company feed and our personal feeds. And obviously, by the way, we encourage our customers to do this as well. LinkedIn, like a lot of the social media platforms, love good content. So I personally upload videos. Um, I have, you know, I encourage my team to be sharing interesting facts or, or blog articles that they've written. So I think the first thing to do is make sure that you can generate content and share content so that you're seen as an authority figure in your sector. The second area we use LinkedIn is, of course, to connect with people that you, you're going to be interested in connecting to. Now, there are technologies out there that will help you automate that. It is against LinkedIn's terms of service, so I wouldn't want to encourage anyone to, to break that kind of thing. But connecting to people and when they accept that connection, sending them a light introductory message is always a good way of doing things. Don't spam people. It's not what it's there for, but it's certainly there to build your network and to introduce yourself. I think that's absolutely fine. And I think the third way would be to take adverts out and to sponsor sponsored content or that kind of thing, which is done on a pay-per-click model. 
Um, a lot of people find that challenging on LinkedIn to get that working. But if you're really on top of your numbers and you know what a customer value is and therefore how many deals or how many opportunities you need, the value of each opportunity, et cetera, et cetera, you can afford to invest in paid for advertising on LinkedIn as well. If, of course, that's where your target customer lives. For us, that they live on LinkedIn. For others, they may live on Facebook or, or, or other places. So pick the right medium for you. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Elliot, for joining us. It's been really a pleasure to speak to you and to hear about phase two and what you're up to in terms of helping technology companies build a global presence. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jane. Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.